0: boost conversion at an average order value. With free bold apps for 14 days, there's no excuse not to try and boost your sales this year. To get this special offer, go to boldcommerce.com slash kurt. That's boldcommerce.com slash k-u-r-t. On today's show, we're gonna pack more than a decade of knowledge and experience into just a handful of immutable laws that can help savvy brands like yourself convert more visitors into buyers. Hold up, 10 years into 40 minutes? Let's see WinZip do that, right? We're joined today by John McDonald, founder of The Good, a conversion optimization firm that has helped globally recognize brands like, listen to this list, it's wild, Nike, Adobe, Xerox, and The Economist for you nerds, exceed their ambitious growth goals. I'm Kurt Elster. Tech Nasty. And this is the unofficial Shopify podcast. So John has a new book out called Opting Into Optimization, and he's going to tell us why we should care. But first, minor housekeeping note, we are overdue for a Shopify editions episode. I really, it was it was supposed to publish last week, and then it was supposed to publish this week. My co-host has COVID, which is, is delaying us. I, I swear they're okay, they're fine, but I promise we'll cover Shopify Editions and their 100-plus announcements soon. All right, back to our, our regular programming here. John, welcome.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Uh, so, all right, you've worked with these, these, these big dog names. You've got years of experience. You're a regular on the podcasted conference circuit. So I have to ask, other than self-promotion, why write this book?
1: Great question. So here's the thing. I had about seven years ago wrote a book that was really focused on tactics. And that was early days of optimization. Now everybody's talking about optimization and they are all putting out these listicles. They're putting out best practice articles. They're really just kind of focusing on the tactics, right? And the challenge with that is CRO is becoming so commoditized that people are losing focus of why they're losing focus of the the philosophies behind it and why it matters and how to think about it appropriately. And so the number of questions I get on podcasts or talking to clients and leads every day, being at conferences, it, it just it, everybody thinks A/B testing or split testing immediately, and they forget about why they're even doing it, or how to think about putting together an appropriate split testing plan. And so I really wanted to write a book about our thinking and more about why you should do CRO and how you should think about doing it so it's effective. And that's really what this book is about.
0: And so I've gone through the book. All right. I've skimmed the book. Okay. I read <laughs> an outline. Thanks for being honest. <laughs> uh, and... So the book is what? A series of 10 principles to follow so Mm -hmm. that you can approach conversion rate optimization, right? Right. All right. And principle one in this book is don't follow best practices, which you, you alluded to. But isn't this book then a collection of your own opinionated best practices? We're calling them principles, but come on.
1: Well, look, I think this is from, we've been in business 13 years at The Good and focus exclusively on CRO for over 10 now. And this is what I do every day. This is my life. And the reality here is, these aren't tactics. There's very few to no tactics in this book. It is all about the philosophy of how you should be thinking. And again, going back to that understanding that, you know most people out there, be it on Twitter or their blog, or you know, I mean, we could name tons of names, so I, I won't I'll protect the innocent. But the reality here is that everybody talks about tactics. They all talk about how do you do split testing? Or uh, I ran this one test and changed a button color and got $3 million in revenue. Look, we all know that's bullshit, right? So the reality here is I wanted to not focus on the gimmicks and really focus on the philosophy. So that's what this book is much more about. So best practices, I mean, the the first one, yes, it's about best practices, but it actually says that best practices are for beginners. And the reality here is that just reading another top 10 tricks is not going to get the job done and you need to have the right culture. And that involves research. Yes, testing, but a, a mindset of optimization and continual improvement. And that's really what needs to be there.
0: All right. When we talk about best practices, and I agree with you, there are no best practices, because there's so many variations in, in the brand that best practices for the most part really don't necessarily help you. They don't apply, and they certainly don't apply one-to-one across these sites. And right. that is the advantage to testing. But it, the, re, the attraction to the best practices is A, it's easy for mm-hmm. both the person publishing it, right? It's like making a listicle is catnip for everybody. The person yeah. writing it, the, uh, the clickbait, and the, the people using the, the advice in those articles. Mm-hmm. But... The hard work, but the rewarding work is, can we come to these conclusions on our own with data? Everybody says, oh, I love data. Right. I, I want to make data-driven decisions. And then if we could do that, all right, what's our... Did we do it correctly? What's the methodology? Are we going to put in the work? So if I'm following the John McDonald method and I'm throwing best practice, that concept out the window, I'm going to mm-hmm. stop reading listicles. What do I do instead? Where do I start? I think... I think you're going to say the R word, research.
1: Of course. I Talk to your consumers. The, the reality is a, a test without a valid hypothesis based on your specific site visitors is, is really meaningless. And you touched on this. I, I was just listening to an episode where uh, you and your co-host were talking about seven split testing ideas and, and the results of those. And I loved it. You guys took a really complex subject and you made it fun. And so thank you for doing that because I was cracking up listening to it. As somebody who does this every day, I was like, this is great. It's not boring. And this can get really in the weeds and boring, right? The idea here is, yes, you can have seven ideas and those are great. And all the ideas you talked about were great ideas, but without knowing if I have a specific reason for running that on my site with my specific data, then it really doesn't matter because I don't know if it's going to work. And you two talked about that in that episode to some degree. Um, But I'm a huge fan of understanding that there is a reason racehorses wear blinders. If you start looking to your competition to the left and right, you're going to veer off course instead of running your own race, paying attention to your data and saying, I'm pretty sure that if I change this thing about my site, I will have a better outcome for my site visitors, which is going to inherently provide a better conversion rate or revenue for my site. And so that's really what this is about. You need to start by doing consumer research, user testing, right? That's a good one that very few people talk about. And there's services out there that do this for you and can really be helpful. There's tool sets that are, are much cheaper now. It used to be usertesting.com was the only one and you had to be on an annual contract for several hundred thousand dollars. Now there's so many tool sets out there that have great qualified user testers for you.
0: I'll, I'll, I will recommend my friend's uh, service, conversioncrimes.com, Quinzada. Mm. we're we're working uh, through a project with them now. And uh, you're right. For a while ago, and part of it's having a great domain name, usertesting.com was, it wasn't just the go-to choice. That was it. That was your sole Mm -hmm. choice. And now uh, there's several uh, competing services. So what you're saying is we start, all right, so I'm not going to just go through a list, a checklist of best practices and try and implement those. And I should not necessarily... There's a time and a place for it, but I probably shouldn't just be looking at other people's websites that are in similar spaces and going, yeah, it should look more like that because we really have no idea why they came to those conclusions either. They were probably going through the best practice checklist themselves.
1: Well, And you also, Kurt, have no idea if it's actually working for them, which is interesting, right? They could be running a test that you got opted into, right? And you have no idea if you're being tested or not if you were in the, you know, you're not in the control, maybe you got in that, that B, C, D variant of that split test. How do you know?
0: You just yeah, don't. You're the, you may be in the losing split test variant and have mm-hmm. no idea. And you're like, oh, well, clearly they know what they're doing. We should implement this. And the reality is, you know, a week from now, they're going to call that test and go, well, that was a terrible idea.
1: The number of people I hear say, well, Nike does that. We should do it too. And I was like, I've seen behind the wizard's curtain. And I can tell you, they're running hundreds of tests. They have a whole team that does nothing but this. How do you know it actually worked for them? Plus, you're not Nike. Nike is a global enterprise. You are likely doing, you know, okay, let's just say you're on Shopify. You're doing 10 to 150 million maybe in that range. Okay, calm down. You don't have Michael Jordan behind you or LeBron James. (laughs) I could go on and on, right?
0: you're saying i my shopify store that sells beard oil and soap is not the same as the people selling air jordans
1: 100% yeah,
0: well, interesting aha all right so when you <laughs> phrase it like that suddenly it seems silly um, the all right so where i want to start then is research and there were mm-hmm. two kinds of research i heard you mention was a i want to talk to my customers and ideally that's like get them you know the simplest form is a survey, whether that's mm-hmm. one question or more. Ideal is a conversation. Talk to mm-hmm. your customers. I swear the phone is your best best research tool. Uh, and the other one uh, was broader but still qualitative, which would be like heat maps and screen recordings.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. So qualitative and quantitative, right? I mean, let's not get too nerdy about it, but yes.
0: Tell me more. I want to hear... Okay about this. Cause I think this is the thing we, it, we always hand wave off as like, well, you need to talk to your customers moving on. And like, no yeah. one goes like, what's the, what are you looking for? What should you okay. be asking here? Okay.
1: Two things. One is this can be as simple as going to a coffee shop and taking your laptop and saying, I will go to people in line. I will uh, buy your coffee. If while the barista is making it, I can evaluate or just watch you using my website. And I'm going to ask you to pick out the right t-shirt for you and leave it at that. And I just want you to go on the website and do it while I watch you. You're going to learn so much. Ask them to talk out loud about the experience they're having, right? So you're able to tell, go in and say, well, you know what? Like, I don't know if a large or medium is the size I need because there's no size chart here. All of a sudden, you're saying, oh, wow, a, a size chart might be helpful pretty high level example but if you don't talk to consumers you would never understand that i i often say that brands especially owners of e-com sites on, on you know that are in that small to mid-size that are involved in the day to day they are they're stuck inside the jar and it's really hard to read the label from inside the jar and Without that perspective from an outside, a new-to-file customer who clicked on the ad, heard about you from a friend, and they come to your site, you have no idea what their experience is like because you're on your site every day. You know all of your products. You know what you want to communicate. But your consumers are on your site for two reasons, only two reasons. They're on your site because they have a pain or a need, and they want to get that pain or need resolved, and they think that your site your products can help them solve that pain or need. And if you can, and they determine you can, they want to convert. So they're there to do research and to buy. And anything other than that, they're going to bounce. But brands get in the way all the time by putting up these barriers that they just feel like, hey, I need to communicate. I need to continue to market. Now, the first book I wrote, we talked briefly about that, was Stop Marketing, Start Selling. Right? Pretty, pretty provocative. It pissed a lot of people off that I used that title. But the reality is true. When somebody comes to your site, stop marketing. Your marketing's won. It's now time to start serving the needs and the goals and the, answering the questions from that consumer. So it's all about understanding what those goals and questions are of that consumer. The only way to truly get that is to ask them and to I watch them.
0: agree with your premise. To when you say... Let's people land on the site and we're confusing the message. Let's stop marketing to them. And I see it as there's a lot of, we end up with too much stuff on a website and it ends up muddled where it's not necessarily obvious. You know, it always is to the owner and the team because they live it, but it's not necessarily obvious to just the person who clicked through on a Facebook ad at 10 o'clock while sitting on their couch, kind of stoned. They're just like, uh, okay, I'm leaving. And like for me, the the quintessential thing is people are always like, we got to have our blog in the main menu, and I'm like, you really don't. The blog was to get them to the site. Why are we trying to send them back to the blog? And oftentimes it turns you know, not a heated debate, but it it, it requires a little bit of, of pushback to convince them. That's my experience with this this concept. I, I think you're right, but uh, th- give me some some detail, some color here.
1: Yeah, so the reality you're right on. The blog is a great example. Another one is just your navigation in general. So many, so many consumers come to a site and can't tell you within the first five to ten seconds what you're selling, right? Or they see this auto rotating banner that's right below the navigation, that big marketing area that every site has, and they say, "Oh, they have one product they sell because you're featuring one product there." Instead of telling them how your brand solves problems. And then helping lead them down the funnel, right? What's the goal of your homepage? It's to get them to go to the next page, right? You're not going to convert anybody on the homepage. Very, very few homepages convert. Um, the, the goal is to get people to not bounce, right? So get them to that next step in the funnel. Now, I'm a firm believer that blog posts and blog sections are actually above the homepage in the funnel. Because like you said, it, the reason of what you have a blog is to get people there. Doesn't mean you can't use that content in other areas on your site, like a product detail page and say, here's a featured story about how somebody used this product with success. That's a great way to get people to see and engage with blog content in the buying journey. But it's not where you start. Most people will start on the, you know, find the blog through search engine and then continue through to a homepage or PDP or category. That's great if you can get them to do that. But again, the navigation is really crucial because it tells people within the first two seconds visiting the site what it is you're selling, what pain point you're solving. Too many brands, are they're, again, they're in the, in the jar. They're so close to the site that they want to talk about themselves. There's about us, there's contact, there's blog, there's shop is the only one that is focused on the consumer or the dreaded FAQ. Like, you know, frequently asked questions pages, that's where good content goes to die. <laughs> right, it's like if it really is a frequently asked question, put it where the question is happening. Don't make the consumer go to an FAQ page and then be like, "Oh, I got to dig through all of these and click each one to read the answer." And there's a hundred questions here; none, of, ninety-nine of these don't pertain to me. I, I just want that one. But I had that question somewhere else in the buying journey that you didn't answer. So all of a sudden, now I'm on an FAQ page with information I don't care about. You're wasting my time, and I bounce right? So really what we always focus on with navigation is put your product categories there. That's it. Just focus on shopping in that main navigation. Tell people what your problems you're solving. So if you're uh, an outdoor accessories brand, camping brand, put their tents, put their clothing, put their, you know, accessories or, you know, um, you know, cooking gear, right? That way, when I come to your site, I clicked on an ad that brought me here. Hopefully, you're not sending people to your homepage, but unfortunately, it happens a lot, right? You end up on my homepage or any page on the site, really. I see that navigation. I now know what category I want to go to next, and I'm already on my journey, and that's what you should be aiming for. How can you get people where they want to go as quickly and easily as possible, not where you want them to go? Um, You talked about a lot of content on pages. I ask the question of our clients all the time. Why is this content here? Is it because you wanted to communicate it or is it because the consumer needs to know it or wants to know it? And those are two very different things. If you want to communicate it, probably you can eliminate it more times than not. If the consumer needs to know it in order to be able to make a purchasing decision or complete their research, then you should probably surface that content higher up on the page and make it more easily findable.
0: Accidents happen. Maybe you installed an app and it messed up your theme, or a store collaborator deleted product images by mistake. Common myth. Shopify is a backup that you can use when something goes wrong with your store. Untrue! They don't! Mitt busted! So what do you do? You use Rewind to equip your Shopify store with automated backups. Rewind should be the first app you install to protect your store against human error, misbehaving apps, or collaborators gone bad. It's like having your own magic undo button, trusted by over 100,000 businesses, from side hustles to the biggest online retailers like NYX and Movement Watches. It's even a Shopify Plus certified app. all visit rewind.com slash kurt elster and get a 30-day free trial enjoy peace of mind with rewind backups find it in the shopify app store or visit rewind.com so there there are some best practices here that are that are coming to me one is this main menu a navigation also in a main menu ultimately becomes part of your positioning it is uh a, a form of wayfinding and it's typically right at the top of the screen. And so by having it focused solely, at least in the case of an e-commerce website, solely, it should only go to products and collections. We should be using it to say, this is the catalog. And so that, I get that uh, putting a main menu together, getting the navigation right is hard. However, if your catalog's not that large or you don't have that many product types, it's actually fairly straightforward to figure out what at least a good starting point as opposed to, you know, we've got like, it's just there's all these secondary things that end up in it mm-hmm. um, that create noise. And so that's the other point I think you're making is, hey, if there's info in here that the customer didn't ask and didn't necessarily want to know, but you're forcing it in there because you oh, solely because marketing says it should be in there, uh, we really need to be acting in the customer's best interest. And that just becomes noise then.
1: Correct, 100 percent.
0: Where do we go from there, right? Like I think there's we could we could talk to the customer, we could f- we could streamline the site a little bit by going through and questioning why some things are there. what, who, what purpose do they serve? And I think more importantly, who do they serve if it's not right. serving the customer? Maybe it shouldn't be there. All right, so now we, we clean up the site f- uh, a little bit. Now, where do we go from here? How do we start coming up with test ideas? Is this the mm-hmm. point where we jump into testing?
1: Yes. And all the things I've mentioned are things that you should test with your audience. And that's where, you know, Google Optimize has made this so so stinking easy, right? I love Google minutes, Optimize. Yeah. 15 minutes you could be doing this and anyone can do it. And the
0: darn thing is free.
1: It is. I mean, that's the beauty. Thank you Google. Like, you know the, the, it they it single-handedly disrupted an industry that was lagging in technology. Uh, there are some small competitors out there, or, or competitors that had were focusing on the same audience, I will say, the same site owners, that their technology was 10 years old. But still, they were just printing money, so they never updated it. And as somebody who's in those tools every day, our team was getting very frustrated by that, uh, that technical debt that was there. Uh, so was or
0: it VWO or Optimizely that you just threw under the bus?
1: VWO, Uh, (laughs) Optimizely. You're not the only one. No, no. But Optimizely, I mean, they've gone 100% enterprise, right? I mean, a very expensive tool set now, and it does way brings testing and that kind of culture throughout your entire lifecycle, your mobile app, your email, everything, right? Where VWO is focused mainly just on site, and um, the reality is Google kind of ate their lunch. And uh, I, for one, was kind of happy to see it just from a technological standpoint.
0: And so for those reasons, when we talk about CRO in the context of a Shopify store, nine times out of 10, it, Google Optimize is the yes. tool we're using.
1: Yeah. So that, that's, that's nine times out of 10 what our team is using. Okay. Um, because most brands already have it, right? So why, why change? Um, you know, the, the reality here, Kurt, is most brands, when they start running tests, they just test without, again, having an understanding of why they're running a test. They read a list, or they just think that something would be a great test idea. What you really need to do is take a step. Oh, back. Oh, I'm so
0: guilty of this. Yeah, everybody is because, because I'm like, it's, man, this would be cool, and then I can use, I can figure, I can just throw stuff at a wall and see if this performs better. That's seductive.
1: Yes, it is, and that's the hard part of Optimize. Uh, you know, really has made it has democratized testing. Okay which I love. The problem is anytime you democratize something like this and you make it easy, you give people a longer rope to hang themselves with. And that is exactly what has happened here. Unfortunately, is people are just testing willy-nilly. They're just out there without really having a hypothesis for why they're running this test, which all goes back to the R word, research. If you don't hear a complaint from a customer about something, you probably don't need to touch that just yet. But you should form hypotheses around why you're doing a test and what you want for the outcome, right? Don't just run a test because you want to generate more revenue or increase your conversions. No, you need to get very granular. I am changing this item because I want people to click on this other item more, right? Have very defined goals. I am changing my navigation because I want people to go to the product category page more often. Right. And then, you know, Optimize makes it easy to start tracking these things. And so but you have, you know, what's the same shit in, shit out. Right. If you put bad garbage, in garbage in, out. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. If you put uh, garbage into Optimize, you're going to get garbage out. And yet yeah, the data may say, hey, this test helped you improve. But if you aren't improving with the consumer's mind, uh, uh, you know, out there, you're probably just, you know, going to start testing in circles. You're going to be wasting your time.
0: You can only, the other catch is you you can only run so many tests at once and because you're limited by traffic volume, transaction volume, and it takes if you want these tests to be significant, statistically significant, you're running the minimum 14 days.
1: I think you bring up another good point which is, is testing even right for you? So many brands, so many sites don't have a number of unique sessions coming to their site that testing really even makes sense in, in the traditional running a B test. And then they get impatient, and you know, you talked in that, that other pod uh, episode that I referenced uh, that you did on, on split testing that most people uh, you know, they, they don't run a test to statistical significance. And yes, I'm one of those nerds who talks about statistical significance because I do think that it's important. Oh, if
0: you it, don't s- have- Is it stat sig? <laughs> the result is not what they wanted. Well, is it stat
1: <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the reality is what I would rather see brands focus on is doing big tests. At that. If they have low traffic, I'd rather them just completely redesign a page and do a, a full-on split test between the two pages. And not worry about a small change because that small change, you're not going to know if it's truly effective. Um, and so I would rather see people just overhaul their entire navigation and run a test against the two navigations and see which one performs better and then keep learning and iterating from there. But if you do something really s- simple where you just change one one item in your navigation and you're expecting to be able to see numbers that are meaningful and you don't have 100,000 unique sessions per month plus, you're probably not going to see much. Um, and so you really need to have enough traffic to do this. The other alternative is to do what we call rapid testing. This is outside of uh, you know, Google Optimize. This is doing stuff like going to Amazon Mechanical Turk and running a preference test where you put up two different messaging Items and you and you say which one of these answers this question more for this other?
0: premise to make sense for people. Explain uh, what Amazon's Mechanical Turk is.
1: Yes, it's so
0: more than just a uh, catchy name.
1: Yeah. Okay. So there's a handful of services like this. Amazon Mechanical Turk was the first one. Um, I'll, I'll skip the story about how it got its name, but it, Google it. It's actually pretty cool. It was a. Uh, I'm, I'm, I, it right, I'm gonna the g- show links. Okay. Great. Uh, the really what is happening here is you can put a question out to a very large number of people and pay them five cents to answer the question, and it takes them, you know, seconds to answer, right? And they're just going through and doing these all day. Now, the nice thing about some of the newer services is you can actually put together a cohort of people that you, you know, meet a demographic um, you know, maybe an age range, a, a, a monetary range, a location, etc. cetera. And then you can say, everybody who is a male over 35 in the United States, and I only want them to, get these, to answer this question. Now, you're not going to get as detailed as you would with user testing, right, where you can have a full profile of people, and, and you're only looking for five to 10 people that you do a user test. This, you want large numbers. You want thousands of people. And the idea here is, Throw, some, throw out your big ideas. Say, okay, which resonates better, this message or that message? And then you could even do something we call a five-second test. You put up a, a page for five seconds, take it down, and then ask, what products do we sell? What pain are we solving? Right? And you will get some wild answers <laughs> because most likely in five to 10 seconds, people don't know what it is you're selling. And I think that should be a real eye-opener. So what you can do there is instead of running an A-B test on that, you can take what you learned, go back, revise, run another test um, through something like Mechanical Turk. And what happens with that is you end up learning a lot quicker because you could run those, multiple of those, over the course of a day because you're going to get lots of responses within a few hours on these types of tools. Um, And so we call this rapid testing and we utilize it a lot to help refine big ideas down to something that should be A-B tested. So once we have two items that are performing very similar, okay, now we want to A-B test those because now we have some good hypothesis that this is going to improve that, that goal that we, that very specific goal that we've put in place. And now we have some leading candidates that we've already run through the high level. So we're no longer, you know, testing on on, on a hope and a wish. We're testing on some data leading into that.
0: I've got, I talk to my customers. I come up with my ideas. I start forming hypotheses. Mm -hmm. We use that to develop mock-ups of what a revised page could look like Mm -hmm. and maybe i'm starting with my homepage, so we could really update my header maybe this is a successful landing page we have or this is a uh a a high bounce page according to google analytics Mm -hmm. we've identified some starting point now we make mock-ups of that page using what i've learned and based on my hypothesis we make alternate versions of that if i'm a really cool guy and i'm getting a hundred thousand people a month to my site I could run the split test and I could split test two separate pages or I could try and do individual elements on this page Mm -hmm. to refine it. But if I don't have that or I want to speed things along, I could use a service like Amazon Mechanical Turk where they see it for like 5, 10 seconds and then we ask them a question related to our hypothesis. What do Mm -hmm. we sell? And in doing that, I can rapidly figure out in a short time, this is probably the best candidate and then that's the one I go test so that I'm not eaten alive by like these two-week cycles minimum to get relevant data out of Optimize.
1: That, that's exactly it. And Kurt, I'm going to have you that's follow really clever. me around. It is. I'm going to have you follow me around and summarize everything I say because <laughs> you say it so much more succinctly. I love that. Well,
0: I'm sitting here taking no. It, that's a, a common compliment, and I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, it's really easy when you're the one who has to speak extemporaneously, and I'm just taking bullet points so that Echo <laughs> and then echoing it back to you wow, this guy's brilliant. It's like, yeah, because I'm reading. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I appreciate it. Do you still use a horse and buggy? (laughs) How about a fax machine? No? Then don't use a regular Shopify theme when you can use Zipify Pages. Just ask this Zipify user. Zipify Pages. I just found that it converts so much better than any Shopify theme I have used before. And you can create high converting landing pages in really the matter of minutes. Zipify Pages is a powerful landing page and sales funnel builder on Shopify. All their templates are tested and proven by a $155 million e-commerce brand. So you know their stuff actually works. You can copy entire templates like opt-in pages, product pages, and holiday promotions. Or use the drag and drop builder to create your own custom layouts. Then publish your pages directly onto your Shopify store. Plus, all pages are optimized for mobile, and built-in split testing helps you maximize your results. It's no wonder Zipify Pages is used by over 5,500 Shopify merchants. To start your free 14-day trial, go to Zipify.com Kurt. That's zipif ycom K-U-R-T. And to get an unadvertised bonus, email help at Zipify.com and ask for the Tech Nasty bonus. Tech Nasty. Uh, okay. get that far we run our test we find a winner we implement it now we're done site is set in stone just shut it down we win
1: no well i think now you implement and then you continue on here's the thing there's a scientific method to this where if you think about a lab and they're running a test when they get the result they wanted do they stop testing of course not Yeah, you you're now looking. Is that a false positive? Are there other uh, methods I should be testing here? You you, continue, you continually test. And that is a mindset shift where so many people look at this and say, I just want to run this test and improve and make my 50 extra K, uh, you know, every every year, whatever. But the reality is you need to be looking at this. There's a a great uh, James Clear, right? He wrote uh, the uh, law of atomic habits. And he's got a law around habits that basically, if you look to get 1% better every day, by the end of the year, you're not going to be 365% better. You're going to be thousands percent better. And so the reality is it's compounding growth. That is what you're looking for in optimization. You're not looking for... The the one win you're looking for that win that then teaches you something that you can use to stair step to the next win and the next idea after that the next idea after that and it becomes addictive to some degree because you keep building on these wins and you see the compounding growth that comes from it and that's really the secret of of conversion optimization as a whole is that even if a test doesn't have the outcome you were hoping for, and it doesn't net you more money. Maybe it loses you money. Okay, turn that off. What did you learn from it? In fact, at The Good, we, have, we track every single test we run so we can build up that knowledge database, and it's massive at this point. But we have two columns. Uh, something is either a winner or a learner. There's no losers because you're always going to learn something, even if it didn't have the outcome that we were anticipating and our hypothesis was looking for. That's okay. What did we learn from that? So if our team marks something as a learner, they have to fill out an extra field. What did we learn from this? And that is key. And if you start tracking that, you'll be able to, again, put that back in and help it fuel the next step and the next ladder up, and you'll continually be learning and growing.
0: And so in doing this, you start identifying, um, you start building a knowledge base in which you're identifying Common culprits, mm-hmm. like watch-outs um, and informing future hypotheses. But this is still not a best practice? No, this still is on have your to test site.
1: What, what, what didn't work on my site may work on yours. Absolutely. And vice versa, right? So the point of what I'm talking about here is it's a learner for your site. Okay. It's your, your site data. And that's the big mentality difference, I think, than saying, hey, you know, this test worked for me. I'm going to post it. And I'm going to share that with the world. Um, the reality is, uh, you know, whenever I share stuff on Twitter that's a winning test, I always say, this is, you know, here's a test we ran for one client and was the result, right? And again, that's more st- shameless self-plug on Twitter, right? Of like, hey, we, we can make you a lot of money working on optimization. And here's an example of that. I, I, I don't take it as far as saying you should do this too, right? You really have to stop before you get to that point. And I think that's the critical way of thinking about this is if you gotta follow a scientific method and that means following it on your own site.
0: Uh, let's see. So coming to the end of our time together, one more thing I want you to tell me about. What, how do you feel about a particular hot topic? Discount codes, coupon codes. Discounting in general. It's that sugar high Mm. I run a promo that just coincides with Prime Day. Boom. My conversion rate goes up for that period. I'm seeing orders come through. It's exciting.
1: It is. What happens after a sugar high, Kurt?
0: Then we have a thing we refer to as the post-sale slump.
1: Yes. Yes. Here's the thing. Uh, discounting is not optimization. It is margin drain. It is pure margin Oh, God, that's a good drain. line. And... The reason is that it's not sustainable. You're going to get on that hamster wheel of discounting and you're really doing just a couple of things. When you think you're gaining more sales and more customers, you're really doing two things to your brand that are just not sustainable. The first thing is, okay, let's say everybody has these darn pop-ups asking for an email in exchange for a percentage of dollar off. Yeah, right? spin to win. Oh, spin <laughs> Enter your email
0: and save dollar sign.
1: Spin to win. Um. That's a whole nother podcast. I could go on an hour about that.
0: <laughs> that's okay. Like that, I said spin to win, and it's just, the conversation grinds to a halt.
1: Yeah, if you Ooh. have spin to win, just turn it off, please. <laughs> um, that's all I have to say about it. Um, okay, so discounting in general, though. The the problem with discounting is that if you have a new-to-file customer come in and you offer them a discount right off the bat, you immediately are devaluing your brand and your products. You're telling consumers, our products aren't worth what we charge for them, they're worth 10% less or whatever your discount is. And you're doing that right off the bat. You're saying we're a discount brand and a discount product, which most brands are not. They don't want to be a discount brand. They want to be premium or at least have maintain their margins, right? The second thing is that once a consumer uses a discount code like that, they are forever going to see your brand as a discount brand and never want to pay retail again right? So what's going to happen? They're going to go to check out that second time and they're going to say, oh yeah, last time I was here, I got 10% off. I know that was for first time customers only. So they're going to go and search these coupon code sites or go to Google domain name plus coupon code, right? And they're going to get stuck in that. And then they're going to have a psychological issue where they're going to say, I'm not getting the best price. And I know there's discount codes out here. They're going to go to your site, try five or 10 of them, that are listed on these sites. None of them work, right? Because they're all one-time use or you know, they're, they're old now. And then they're gonna say, I'm not getting the best price. I'll come back to this later. They never do. It is the number one reason people leave checkout. Checkout card abandonment, number one reason we find is that they put, a, that it, c- brands have a discount code field. And this is the, if I had a biggest gripe with Shopify checkout, it's that you can't hide that, that field. Please, oh, on I like plus, some, I could
0: hide it. Display well, none, uh, that guy.
1: Yeah, on plus, for sure. Uh, but the reality is it works a lot better if you put a link, have have a code, and then somebody clicks that link and it opens up the field. Then you're preserving the option, but it's not just a blank field sitting there in somebody's face saying, yes, saying, yes, now I'm like, oh, I don't have a code, I'm moving on. Right, but if it's a blank field, I'm like, oh, I'm missing out. I need to fill in this field. It's a checkout field. Every every field or a checkout form, every field needs to be filled out, and you're just in that mindset. Um, so the reality with discounting is that you're either creating a discount brand, you're setting expectations for future purchases that you can't hold to, and there's really no positives that come from this. So what I recommend brands do: discounting is a subtraction. It's a dollar, a percentage off, right? Think about it as an addition. What can you add that make people feel positive about your brand? That's not a discount, right? Now you're adding to the order. What is it? Free shipping is an easy one people think of. Free gift with purchase. Maybe you buy those Air Jordans, kick in a pair of socks. What do the socks cost you? Two dollars. What is a ten percent coupon on Air Jordans going to cost you? Twenty five right? So you really look at this. A consumer is going to feel better about your brand getting those free socks without having to enter a code, having to do anything. There, There is your, and you probably can't see on a podcast, but in air quotes, your sale is now a free gift with purchase. And it just changes the mentality of the consumer. They're not expecting, you know, if I, if I give you a gift, you're not expecting next time you see me, I'm going to give you a gift, right? You're like, oh, that's a one-time gift. Ordeal. This is great. It's a bonus. But if I have a discount, now I feel like I'm being left out because you gave my friend a discount. Why don't I get one? And it's a big difference uh, in in the psychological mentality.
0: I I have loved this entire interview. I've been nodding along. I have learned a lot. I have agreed with everything you've said. I gave you a little bit of a hard time at the beginning by design. I'm glad I did because this worked out so well. Uh, John, your new book, "Opting Into Optimization: How Successful E-Commerce Brands Convert More Customers, Increase Profits, and Create Raving Fans," a number one bestseller on Amazon, is out now. Ebook, audiobook. Get it at thegood.com, uh, Amazon. And uh, what else you want to plug? Where can we find you, Et cetera?
1: Hey, yeah, uh, Twitter at John Macdonald. Um, hit I'll, me up I'll, I'll there. I will follow. Oh, yes, please do. Um, and uh, if you want to get a copy of the book, um, go to thegood.com slash O-I-T-O, so opting in to optimization, and use the code GOODFRIENDS. Now, this won't give it to you for free, right? This is not a discount code. This is uh, a code for you to get a free version of the audiobook, right? So you can go and you can listen to me read it. Here's the nice thing about that. Um there's actually a, uh, a part in here where um, I end up rapping a little bit. And so if you get the audio book, you get to hear me rap some lines from Hamilton, which, um, you know, God bless you if you listen, because uh, a lot of people probably turn it off at that point. But Look, I,
0: I, l- I love you. I love Hamilton. You're no Lin-Manuel, but no. we'll end it there. John McDonald, thank, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Hold up, stop what you're doing. Go log in your Shopify store. You there yet? Okay, check your apps. How many do you have installed right now? More important, how much money are you paying for those apps every month? Here's the reality. Most Shopify store owners are managing dozens of marketing apps, but you don't necessarily need all those apps to drive sales. That's why I recommend my friends at Privy. With the Privy app, you can take advantage of at least five apps in one. Manage all your website conversion, list growth, email, and SMS marketing all in one place. Yes, that also includes features like countdown timers, cross-sell campaigns, free shipping bars, abandoned cart emails, you name it. This thing is powerful. So save the time, money, and headaches from toggling between dozens of apps and get Privy today.